This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her? And you're obsessed with her daughter! All right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking Oedipus complexes. We're talking techno music. And we're talking Stephen Dorff in leather pants. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we are talking a blood rave, everybody. Uh, oh my god, yes. A very, very awesome opening to this movie. We are talking Blade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we've done Blade Trinity, and now we're doing the original Blade, and we have no Blade 2 on the schedule for the foreseeable future. We're probably going to cover the new one with Mahershala Ali before we even get to Del Toro's Blade, but whatever. That is true, yeah. Also, do you do you say Oedipus? Oedipus? I say, I mean, I, I don't know. I say Oedipus, but like, I don't, I don't, I genuinely don't know what the right way to say it is because you just like called everything into question that I've ever learned. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> we're going to say both are correct. And basically we're just talking about sons who want to fuck their moms and vice versa. <laughs> there you go. But you know what? We can have someone as a tiebreaker here because everyone, we do have a guest on this episode today for Blade. Everyone, they are the founder of KaiFX Horror Group, which grants an inclusive space for horror film lovers and creatives by highlighting and showcasing art. They are also the host of the Monstrosities Voice Horror Untouched podcast, which dives deep into your favorite horror films and literature, analyzing racial, gender, and societal tropes within the genre. Please welcome Kai Fields. Hi! Hi! <laughs> when you said um, Stephen Dorff in leather pants, I was like, "Oh yes, yes!" <sighs> this movie is so hot. Like, it is hot. I, I recognize it's a vampire movie thing where most everyone is very attractive, but this movie is really hot. I, I agree. And this is actually the first thing I ever saw Stephen Dorff in. And, you know, I saw that bit of trivia that was like, oh, like, you know, Skeet Ulrich really campaigned hard for this role. And I was kind of like, Could oh, you it. know, I can totally see it. But there's something about like, there's something snake like about Stephen Dorff's face that I mm-hmm. but like a sexy snake that I think <laughs> really works for this role. Is it like his mouth area? that kinda... I, I think it's his Maybe? mouth and his eyes are like I 
I, I don't know if it's right to say they're like little slits, but like yes. that's what they remind me of. I'm looking at a picture <laughs> of him right now, and I'm looking at it, it it's giving very much snake. So I'm just like, right? Like, it, and he's pale, which I mean, snakes <laughs> aren't pale, I guess, but you know, you, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> he's got it down. He's he's a very good choice. I could see Skeet Ulrich in this film. I think mostly because the hair, because like when you look at Stephen Dorff's hair in this movie, which P.S. iconic, I love it, I worship so it, pretty. I wanted it. <laughs> it looks very similar to Billy Loomis' hair in Scream. So for me, I was like, oh, okay, I can see this. But I think Dorff is bringing a very distinct energy to this movie, and I am here for it. I agree. Um, I do. It, it's weird too. So I mean, I, I have seen this movie a handful of times. I, I, I honestly don't think I've seen it in at least ten years. And so when I last saw it, I don't think I knew who Udo Kier was. So when I'm watching it oh. this time, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> You've got Udo Kier in this movie, and you're not giving him something really evil to do? Okay, movie. But, you know, Steven Dorff makes up for that. And I guess so does Donald Lode, right? He's goofy to me. I'm sorry. Oh, he's so goofy. <laughs> he's goofy. I, I just can't. And his character was goofy, and he was just goofy. Well, that's, I mean, honestly, I, I remembered this movie being so much more serious and kind of doom and gloom. No. I was surprised and pleasantly surprised, though, with how much fun this movie was. And to think that this is really one of the first Marvel films of like this new batch, right? Before they really started to figure out their phases and Kevin Feige took over and all that crap. But mm -hmm. it it's fascinating to watch this as a peculiarity at the start of what we're now seeing as this kind of cultural renaissance. But a lot of the ingredients are here. It's bombastic action. It's well-known character actors in supporting roles to kind of prop things up. And we've got good action, and it's a good mix of comedy and special effects. Yes. So, Kai, what is your relationship to this movie? Do you remember when you first saw it? I don't. I was thinking about that earlier, because I was just kind of like, okay, I'm going to talk about Blade. And then right. I have an episode on Blade, but it was more so like the origin. And I was thinking, I'm like, I don't even remember the first time I saw this. It was kind of like just a cultural thing. There are just a few films that we that we watched that was just kind of like a you just had to you have to watch it mm -hmm. i don't remember the day that i saw or the time that i saw it i just remember revisiting it as uh in college and being like oh okay like i was saying earlier how oh it's sanaa lathan in it and now i'm like oh shit sanaa lathan is so fine like wow like <laughs> <laughs> <My> golly <laughs> My appreciation of yeah, Sonal Lathan no, has my, changed. My appreciation for Deacon Frost, too, because he is fine, too. And so I think it was just more so one of those things that I probably was just watching sci-fi, which I watched a lot as a kid, mm. where I was watching mm. like um, TNT or something, and it just came on and I watched it. But then, of course, growing into my love for horror, I was like, oh, I have to watch Blade. I revisited it as, you know, a teenager, young adult, and I love, love, love it. It's such a fun, fun movie. And Joe, because I feel like you... When we talked about, like, when, sorry, when we announced this last week, you were like, oh, like, mm -hmm. this is a big film for me. And maybe I'm misremembering that, but I feel like you have, like, a, I don't know, like, a, a strong affinity to this film, which I'm not going to say I'm surprised by. It was just one of those where I was like, oh, like. Really? Blade? Oh. For, like, a Super <laughs> Joe movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. And I don't know why this movie really connected for me. I did watch a lot of action movies with my dad. It was kind of our father-son bonding mm -hmm. thing. But we were very old school, right? We watched the Arnold films. We watched the Bruce Willis films. We loved the Jean-Claude Van Damme films. Wesley Snipes was never really 
in my wheelhouse, except for Demolition Man, which I'm a huge fucking fan of. So when Blade came out, I think I was just mostly excited by the vampires. But I remember even from like I saw this in the theaters, I think it was probably opening weekend and the rave scene alone just cemented this film in my like cultural eye. I just responded to it so strongly and I thought, oh, wow, this feels different from anything else that I've seen because I felt maybe I was used to things like Interview with the Vampire or The Hunger where they were moody, contemplative, you know, oh, what does it mean to exist forever? And this was a fucking kick-ass vampire film and people were disintegrating and people were wearing leather (laughs) and I don't know. I mean, this was right as I was really starting to struggle with my sexual orientation so i wonder to like i idolize steven dorf i tried to covet his wardrobe i tried to dress like deacon frost in high school let me tell you folks it did not go well but i tried <laughs> because the film was that important to me well, uh, color me surprised. I'm sorry. Maybe you discussed that on our Blade Trinity episode, but maybe we didn't because you didn't have that connection with that particular film. But um, yeah, no. I mean, honestly, I, I was nine when this came out, and I remember my cousins going to see it in theaters while I went to go see something else because obviously I was not allowed to watch this movie. And instead mm-hmm. of watching it on Sci-Fi, I think I watched it on TNT. But my biggest, I remember the blood rave, and I remember the vampire was blowing up at the end. Like I remember oh, yeah. the decoagulant stuff. <laughs> EDTA. Oh, I love it. But yeah, no, I mean, go ahead. Oh, no, so sorry. I I just, when you said the blood rave scene, it made me think about the first time I'd gone to a rave. Of course, pre COVID, it was like years Mm. ago. And that was the, that was my expectation. (laughs) Of course, not like gallons of blood falling from the ceiling, but I was like, it's going to be the music and and the Mm -hmm. the sexual tension. And that's what it was. It was, it was a fun time, but it wasn't like Blade. So maybe I had two high (laughs) standards of my first (laughs) raving experience, but that's exactly the reference that I think of when I think of a rave. I think of the opening scene in Blade. So thanks for uh, bringing back that memory. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. This might be a stupid question. So I I don't think I've ever been to a rave, but a (laughs) rave is. it's a thing where there is music being played usually like trance music and it's just people kind of elbow to elbow dancing right like that's what a rave is right generally but the rave that i went to it was like a set for um like the edm djs just play their Mm. music and you know like Mm -hmm. when the beat drops like skrillex and all that and we were it was the stage and we were there and then they have like the balloons and the confetti that i guess that was like a substitute for the blood uh (laughs) sometimes they have like bubbles and and shit and it's so much fun um and then people have like the bright colors and they're raving and dancing it it is a fun fun time so much fun Listeners, I, if you gave me a hard eye roll when I asked that question, I'm sorry. And I, I am aware no, that I can, it's go- okay. I, I can Google what a rave is. <laughs> I just didn't want to talk about any like drug use. So I'm like, oh, watch what I say. I was going to say, say, yeah. I was like, Kai, you're not really mentioning the the MDNA or yeah, like, like oh ecstasy my- and stuff. <laughs> I like- don't look. I look. I'm I sorry. <laughs> just know that I had a great time, okay? Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, but Joe called it MDNA, which is the Madonna album. I know, MDMA. it's meant to be M- <laughs> Yes, MDMA. <laughs> so the rate that I went to had actual stands where it was like would you like to buy fruit or would you like to buy those kind of um lollipop ring pop things and i was like i don't understand what are these here for and people were like oh sweetie you don't do drugs never mind just move past this dog you don't need anything from here i i would pay money 
to see Joe roll. I would pay money. It's never going to happen. If those days were going to happen, they would have happened well, <laughs> like a long, long time ago. <laughs> the first time, well, that was the first time I'd ever rolled. But I just remember hearing everyone saying like, oh, you're going to be like so touchy feely with everyone. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to be like, oh, my gosh. But. For my experience, I went to the restroom like 17 times. I was staring at myself in the mirror and I was like, I am so beautiful. And I was touching Uh myself like on my face. Uh I was like, wow, I'm so pretty. And like I kept doing that. The the thing with – we're not condoning drug use, everyone. But my my, my experience with MDMA has always been like it's it's always relevant to my surroundings because I I did it at Mardi Gras once. But like we were at a house outside of the parade one year. And so I was like, hey, because we didn't know how strong they were. So I was like, let me take one pill tonight and just see what it's like when like I just in a controlled environment. And I didn't really feel it. And so we went to Mardi Gras the next day, and I took a, another one, the same exact one, uh, that there. And <laughs> I, like, Uh-oh. turned onto Bourbon Street, and all the lights and music hit me, and I almost collapsed because I was so overwhelmed with all it's the so sensations. <laughs> very much everything. so. so Yeah, it, it, it's very much dependent on your mood, who you are as a person, and yeah. what stimuli are around you. The last time I did it, it was Pride um, of 2018. Um, I went with a group of friends, and we were, of course, downtown Discovery Green in Houston. And I was like, you know what? We're all here having a great time. Um, let's just take some and just, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I, I, I was staring at police lights for like 30 minutes. Because, <laughs> like, no. I mean, of course, the police are out there, and I was sitting on the corner. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only mistake we did was we did not bring water. Yeah, that's yeah. A that was not good. And no. so yeah. we were scrambling for water. People were selling water bottles for like five, ten dollars. Of course yeah. they were. Yeah, I was like, it's time for me to go home. I just went home. <laughs> <laughs> Tap water is free. Yeah, God. Well, okay. So <laughs> we we've, we've, we've all really bonded here, by the way. So <laughs> this is really fun. Right? This is integral to this film, people. If you don't understand the culture, you're not going to understand why this opening scene works. Come on. But let's go into the production of this movie, because you are right, Joe. This kind of was a, uh, maybe anomalies, not the right word, but like this was a big success. And like without this film, who knows what the Marvel landscape would look like today? So, I didn't know much about this character, honestly. I, I'm not, I, I've never read these comics, but um, the character Blade, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, in 1973, <laughs> Blade was created in 1973 for Marvel Comics by the writer Marv Wolfman and artist Gene Colan, Colan, hmm, as a supporting hmm. character in the 1970s comic The Tomb of Dracula. In the comics, Blade would use teakwood knives and was much more of an everyman in his behavior and attitude. He... I also had a hatred of vampires, but he originally was not a daywalker. Instead, he was a human being immune to being turned into a vampire. Um, he didn't have superhuman speed or the strength of the vampire, so he relied solely on his wits and skill until, and this was, again, news to me, he was bitten by the character Morbius, as yeah. which we're about to get that movie. As seen in Peter Parker Spider-Man number eight, first published in 1999. Basically, he gets bitten by a vampire after the movie came out, but in the world of the comics. It's because at that point, the film was so popular that it ended up impacting the run of the comics. Which has happened before. Yeah, it is. I just It's one of those things where I'm like, I guess I never hear about like, um, and maybe it's because the internet wasn't like the internet back then. But I don't remember having people be like, not my blade. He's not the same one that's in the comic books when the movie came out, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. I do remember a little bit, not 
a ton because you're right people just didn't have the outlet to complain so voraciously (laughs) but uh yeah i think a a lot of people felt that this was more action souped up blade but uh i don't know that anybody was super pissed off about it i wonder too if the r rating like because i i I mean again i was young when it came out but i didn't know this was based on a comic book so i wonder if like the r rating people were like because you know people sometimes assume or like they they put comic books in this oh that's like a kid's thing Mm -hmm. so if it didn't really play a factor in this film's release when it came out at least among the general populace yeah i think people just looked at it as an r-rated vampire film and Mm -hmm. they didn't take as much stock because marvel wasn't the Marvel that we know and maybe love or maybe hate nowadays. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> depends on which side of a blockbuster discussion you fall on. But right. yeah, I mean, th- this was really one of those films that I think started to cue people that Marvel was in the movie business now. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, um, the film's version of Deacon Frost also differs greatly from his comic counterpart. So, Joe. Yes, it uh, does. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> for you, Joe, it does not look like um, uh, Stephen Dorff. He is a great deal younger in the film. He's like this kind of like, um, oh, I want to say it was like a German older man um, who was not very, I don't want to say not very skinny, but he was more like hulking than what, we, what Stephen Dorff is in this movie. He probably looks more like what people imagine Udo Kier's character to be, except Udo Kier is obviously gorgeous and skinny. I was just about to say, he's very, like, <laughs> about to say, he's cute. I didn't realize, so when I was doing research for this, I just avoided anything to do with the film because I knew you'd cover it. But right. I ended up going on this deep dive of Udo Kier's career. I didn't realize that oh. he basically got discovered on the street and then became a model. Yep. And Mm -hmm. he has over 200 film credits. Well, that's why when I was researching, like, and, like, doing the cheat sheet, I was like, God damn it, it's one of those guys where he has 200 film credits. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Am I going to pick up what's notable films for him? He has so many. And his career is completely vast. Like, he has gone the the gamut between, you know, artsy horror with Andy Warhol and Blood for Frankenstein and, no, Flesh for Frankenstein and Blood for Dracula. Mm-hmm. There we go. All the way up to this kind of movie. Like, this movie really changed the trajectory of his career because he had been in genre stuff for a long time, but he he didn't appear in big films, per se. Yeah. I'm probably going to yeah. get my ass kicked for that because I'm sure no, somewhere in those 200 I, credits, people are going to be like, uh, but, this movie? <laughs> but, but he's never, like, the starring role, right? I mean, he's in Suspiria, but he's in one scene of Suspiria, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I think uh, this most recent film that he made where he's a gay hairdresser mm-hmm. and it's just like him going across town. I can't remember the name of it. But Swan Song. Gaga. Swan Song, thank you. I think that's one of his first headlining performances, like at least in a couple of decades. Um, and just a sidebar, everyone, I believe it's already out to view. But if you can seek out Swan Song, it is Udo Kier, it's Jennifer Coolidge, it's a bunch of other people, but it is... A very, very, very sweet film about an aging gay hairdresser played by Udo Kier. Mm -hmm. So to get this film off the ground, so, and I I didn't know this either, but when New World Pictures bought the rights to Marvel Comics, because this is, um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we're still over, New World Pictures still exists at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, it is not with us anymore, is it? No, I always associate New World Pictures with Heathers. And I think we've covered Uh, one other film of theirs, but it's always Heathers that I think of. Okay. Anyway, so they were going to make a Mexico-set Western starring Richard Roundtree, a.k.a. Shaft, as the Vampire Hunter. Marvel Studios started to develop the film as early as 1992. Um, At that point, I think Roundtree had kind of, like, moved on. um, And then LL Cool J was interested in playing the role. I cannot picture it. LL Cool J is Deep Blue Sea. (laughs) 
<laughs> he will forever. He will always be preach in D blue sea. Right. Mm-hmm. Leave it alone. <laughs> Just leave it alone. I'm glad that didn't happen. You know what, though? He had, like, a decent... Because, I mean, obviously he did Deep Blue Sea. He was in Halloween H2 for, like, a bit. But he did this movie with Gabrielle Union called Deliver Us from Eva that I really... I mean, I haven't seen it since I was, like, young. But I remember really liking it as a kid. So I, I think he's, he's, I think he's a very charming man. I just don't see him as... Blade. It's tough, right? He's almost like Udo Kier, where I I find it difficult to envision him as a leading man. And folks, if you want to hear our thoughts on his acting talents, uh, we do have audio commentaries on the Patreon for both Deep Blue Sea as well as Halloween H2O. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so Blade was eventually set up at New Line Cinema with David S. Goyer writing the script. Um, David S. Goyer, of course, I think he actually went on to direct Blade Trinity. He did, yeah. But, you know, his screenwriting oeuvre uh, is... It's hit or miss. You know, you've got the Crow City of Angels, Dark City. He did write all three Blades, but then he did Batman Begins, but then he did mm-hmm. Man of Steel, but then he did Batman versus Superman, but then he did Terminator Dark Fate. So it's it's like an up and down quality with this man. Yeah, you never quite know what you're going to get, but he is very steeped in genre and particularly mixes where you get horror intersecting with uh, action. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Because <laughs> I was like, that's definitely a, a, a wavelength of film, but it's, mm-hmm. it has that similarity. So <laughs> Yes, and actually, we should thank him for the way the movie is, because apparently New Line wanted to make Blade like uh, almost a spoof of an action film. Uh, and Goyer was like, um, no, no we're not going to do that. <laughs> I think it would have tanked the whole thing. Like, I'm... Maybe they would have had a good handle on it, but trying to envision this property as a comedy, I think it just would have been disastrous. Yeah. There are some funny parts, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that, too, just comes with how stoic Blade is. Like, Blade mm-hmm. is stoic, but he's also, like, has a sense of humor about himself. And I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I found Snipes so charming in this role, despite, like, I mean, you know, he's pretty cold he's giving everyone the cold shoulder but like i still just like i find him so magnetic in this film oh absolutely i think it's one of his best performances mm-hmm. um, although apparently the studio did ask if blade could be white at one point so um oh my god can you like just <laughs> okay so we love everything about this concept we love the idea of a daywalker we love the idea of more special effects absolutely yes 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 but also can we just make him white like, what the f- Fuck. It's interesting because when I get to the, this, this film's release, it was actually released um, and competed with black cinema at the time. But I, I'll, I'll put a pin in that until we get there. Um, Snipes was trying to get a Black Panther film into production. And when that um, did not happen, uh, he signed on to Star's Blade in 1996. Outside of Skeet Ulrich, Jet Li was offered the role of Deacon Frost, but he opted to do Lethal Weapon 4 instead. Which is maybe a mistake in his part. I think Lethal Weapon 4 made more money, but it's roundly considered not one of the better entries in that franchise. I would have been so interested to see, like in an alternative universe, there's a cut of this film with Wesley Snipes and Jet Li, and I would love to see it. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Um, So yeah, the film was made on a budget of $45 million. Uh, filming began February 5th, 1997, mostly in Los Angeles, with some, she- with some sheens, with some scenes shot in <laughs> Death Valley. Um, all sets were constructed, and all on-set filming occurred in what was formerly the Redkin Shampoo Factory in Canoga Park. The original cut of the film was apparently two hours and 20 minutes long. They had a disastrous test screening with audiences, which led to heavy edits, and including an completely reshot ending. So the sword fight we get between Frost and Blade at the end um, was not the original ending. And I, 
I don't have the DVD of this, but the original ending is on that DVD. I remember um, reading that whenever I was doing research for the, the episode that I had done, and I was like, what would happen? <laughs> I, 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 if, I've never seen the original ending. What would happen if that wasn't there? Yeah, apparently he just turns into a giant blob. Like, when he becomes La Madre, he doesn't stay as himself. He becomes, like, a a misty blood cloud thing. Mm -hmm. And apparently the special effects were so unconvincing that that's part of what led to that disastrous test screening. Well, so so basically in the end, whenever he um, he cuts Frost in half and, like, you know, his the the CGI blood pulls him back together, it's basically that cgi blood but just in giant blob form so it's just like imagine like a which it looks cartoony although i would say that a lot even the practical blood in this film looks um it's like that giallo-y paint type blood almost sometimes very red yes but that being said i i definitely have seen this ending years ago and i think it i don't even think it has sound to be honest but it 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 does look like absolute shit Mm mm-hmm yeah, because even when um, when Blade kind of breaks into Deacon Frost's hideout building, which we never really even get to see what that whole building looks like. It's almost like they didn't have an exterior for it. Mm-hmm. But when he fights uh, those two kung fu kind of brother-sister in the hallway when he first tests the EDTA and they blow up, I'm mm-hmm. always like, oh, that is like one of the film's worst visual effects. And I'm just imagining an entire climax that looks like that. And it would not be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Blade is released in the US on August 21st, 1998. And the only other new releases that it was competing with were Dead Man on Campus, which is the um, mm. is it Tom Everett Scott. Is that his name? It is. Okay. Yeah. Um, wrongfully accused the uh, Leslie Nielsen spoof on The Fugitive and another Chris Christopherson film, um, although he's not the lead, Dance With Me, starring Vanessa Williams. It opened in the number one spot with $17 million, and it stayed in the number one spot its second weekend, where it held off new releases 54 and White of Fools Fall in Love, starring Halle Berry and Vivica A. Fox. So I love that we have this Wesley Snipes movie, this Vanessa Williams movie, and then this Halle Berry and Vivica A. Fox movie, like, all released in the month of August of 1998. Side note, White of Fools Fall in Love is a great movie if y'all haven't seen it, and it's mm. really funny. Oh, is it? It's this drama. It's full of so much drama. Uh, okay. <laughs> yes, it is really good. <laughs> I've definitely seen Dance With Me. I have not seen Why Do Fools Fall in Love. Yeah, Lorenz Tate is in uh, Why Do Fools Fall in Love. Halle Berry with Gay Fox. It's a, it's a really funny movie. Well, it's interesting because all of those films feel like they're actually going after different segments of what the people in Hollywood would be calling a black or urban audience. So they probably didn't envision that any of these films would cannibalize each other. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, what if fools fall in love? I mean, it, it made like $12 million. So, I mean, I'm not going to say it's Blade's fault that that happened, but um, I'm there was audience crossover there. So it goes on to grow $70 million domestically and $61 million overseas for a worldwide total of $131 million against its $45 million budget. And that's why we have a lot of superhero films. <laughs> well, but even still, though, I was like, man, $70 million domestically on a $45 million budget? Like, that's not... It's not great, but it's way more than they actually thought. Like, they didn't think that this was going to be that level of a hit. I was going to say, it sounds like they thought it was just going to be a throwaway film. 
which is kind of bananas when you see $45 million budget. Like, exactly. They, they didn't spend pennies on this, but they clearly also didn't think it was going to be big. Well, what's funny is, too, do you, so there was a film in 1997 that came out that also had a $45 million budget and also made $70 million domestically and is also considered a major surprise hit. Do you all know what movie that is? No. <laughs> Anaconda. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Anaconda. can we... All I have to say... Is CGI. That's all. Oh, it I, looks I, fine. <laughs> that, that's you have to be careful, Kai, because Trace will defend Anaconda to his dying breath. You know what? <laughs> this is a this is a fight that I am. I will not. I will not. I will that's not. fair. That's fair. Maybe it's if we were talking film. Lake Placid, then maybe oh. I'd fight. But no, not Anaconda. No, Lake Placid's so boring. <laughs> Lake Placid is terrible. It's bad. <laughs> We actually did cover Lake Placid our first year, and we were like, oh, it's going to be so fun. We'll have so much fun to talk about. And um, no, the answer is no. There's nothing to talk about in that movie. It's just so stilted. I remember it being so funny, and the Betty White parts were still funny, but then the rest of it was just like, what is going on with mm. this? Yeah. yeah, no, it's... Was it? Is it Bill Pullman? Or it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Bill Pullman, yeah, Oliver Platt. That's the Platt. only reason why I wanted to watch it. Yeah, so. Bridget Fonda. <laughs> it's got a great cast. It's just like kind of dull. Yeah, and it's like anyway. <laughs> less than eighty minutes long. Anyway, yeah. So okay. So here's the thing. Blade was Marvel's first box office success, and that that is something I did not know. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Like there was. I know people were like, oh, it, like it kickstarted the the comic book movie thing, but I'm like, wait, what? So. The f- Blade followed Howard the Duck yeah. as the second Marvel property to get a wide theatrical release. Because we we did have a Fantastic Four movie, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it didn't go wide and apparently it's terrible. And Howard the Duck, as everyone knows, um, is a huge flop. So yeah. this is also surprising, though, because uh, bear in mind, this is also coming out a year after Batman and Robin supposedly killed comic book movies for good, which is the, the dialogue that was going on at the time. This movie was supposed to come out about six months earlier, and because of those reshoots, it was delayed. And honestly, I think that probably helped it. I think so. And I wonder if that's how Goyer was able to make the argument, no, we should not make this comedic, because look at the reception that Batman and Robin got. Mm, I bet you're right. Weirdly enough, though, because, you know, Joe, you were talking earlier about, like, the types of vampires that we get in this movie and how it's different from what came before. This (laughs) movie also opens up a month after John Carpenter's Vampires. And the irony is that that's kind of a westerny vampire movie, which is the original intent for Blade. And that movie didn't do well either. No, it did not. Compared to the sequels, Blade 2 had, you know, it did pretty well. Um, Blade 2 is the highest grossing film in this franchise, and Blade Trinity grossed about what this one did, but um, it had like a $20 million higher budget. Rotten Tomatoes, we got a rating of 56%, with an average rating of 5.9 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic, it has a 45 out of 100. Letterboxd is a 6.6 out of 10, but audiences pulled by CinemaScore gave the film an A-. Yeah, there it is. I haven't... This is the only one that I've seen um, in the trilogy. Yeah, I haven't seen any. I had no interest in watching. It's kind of like that thing where it's just like, Blade is Blade, and that's it. I, I just never... Maybe I should watch the rest of the trilogy. I would har- so uh, a also interesting. Um, because I, 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 I thought for sure Stephen Norrington was black. Um, he's not. So he's not. He is a British dude, white yeah. as white. <laughs> so all three Blade films have been directed by uh, white men. But um, I will. S- oh, wait, I'm sorry. Guillermo del Toro was not white. What am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> two out of the three. Almost there. <laughs> I, I will go to bat for Blade 2. I love Blade 2 because, yeah. again, it is Guillermo del Toro 
does Blade. It feels like it could be in the Hellboy universe, in mm-hmm. part because Guillermo's got his usual kind of cadre of people like we've got ron perlman we've got doug jones and mm-hmm. uh he's clearly having a blast with it the creature effects are the best part of that movie mm-hmm. the vampires in that are yeah they're fantastic mm-hmm. um blade trinity um it is camp it is not good but it is entertaining yeah Kai, okay. it does have parker posey in it if that's yeah, and- <laughs> if that gives you a sense of the tone <laughs> you know what I can create space for a gag film mm-hmm. every once in a while. So Blade Trinity will be that movie for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Now, did y'all, because I didn't watch this because I was, I think it was on Spike TV, but there was a Blade TV show that lasted yeah. for one season with um, yes. Kirk Sticky Jones as Blade. Yes. Yes. I didn't catch it, but I do remember that being a thing. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was 2006. It was the summer of 06. I will say that the only piece of interesting information I found out of the show. So, Nabush Wright, who we have not mentioned, and I actually love her in this movie. I love mm-hmm. this character, and I, I do wish she had more to do, but she is one of the best, like, non-damsel in distressy girls in this type of movie that I've seen in a while. Yeah, but supposedly had the show gotten a second season, they would have um, addressed her and why she's not in the sequels because she is not in the sequels and they don't even mention her, I don't think, in the second one. She goes completely unmentioned. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I think they were going to eventually hope to get her back for one or two episodes of the Blade TV show. Uh, I thought it was so random in the in the film that scene where she's talking to her ex Mm. um, right before he gets devoured by Quinn's Mm -hmm. corpse. And I'm thinking this is the most awkward couple dynamic. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) As I'm revisiting it as an adult, I'm like, this is weird. I mean, of course, not being that they're interracial or whatever but just like he's very awkward Give me yeah a he's so are we awkward. seriously over and i'm like Ew. well because, because she she doesn't come across as a character who would put up with that bullshit like exactly that's why i'm just like uh this is weird though because the way it's presented is that you know oh they were a nice couple but he I, i'm guessing cheated on her like that, that's how i take like oh you're an that's asshole that's another like, thing i'm like you gonna cheat on that yeah <laughs> And and okay. don't don't get me wrong, Tim Guinea is kind of an attractive man, but at the same time, you're like, oh, th- this is the four apologizing to the like nine to ten here. Exactly. <laughs> and she's just like, I don't care, get out my face. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. Like, I was just like, that's a very interesting couple. Like, mm-hmm. I could buy that but- they had broken up and that he wanted to get back with her. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, eh. I don't, I'm not buying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that is Blade. So why don't we dive <laughs> into the, well, I mean, t- we'll start with Tracy Lords. Yes, we will. Well, oh, actually, no, we'll, we'll start with <laughs> Sana. Damn it. Sana. Sana. Yeah, Sana. We'll start with Sana L- Lathan. So. Oh my God. Lathan. Lathan. Oh my God. Like, like Nathan. Just let me die. <laughs> All right. So we open in 1967. We've got a pregnant woman who is Vanessa Brooks, played by Sanaa Lathan. No, Sanaa Lathan. (laughs) So close. So nearly there. I'm interested, Kai, because I know you work in FX. It's not quite hair and makeup, but I would be curious to know how you feel about the styling of some of these people, because I don't know. I felt like they maybe had a white hair and makeup person because some of it didn't look well actually i 
kind of disagree. Okay. For example, like Sanaa Lathan's character, her hair was sickening. Her makeup was great. She looked <laughs> hot. Um, for um, Karen and Boucher Wright's character, she was hot the entire time too. I didn't see anything wrong with her hair or makeup. But Deacon Frost's makeup pissed me off the entire movie. It was just way too pasty. <laughs> okay. And I'm just like, maybe it was like the 90s kind of thing but i was just like it it me personally i would have preferred a more like subtle vampire right. look but maybe for what that you know the film was presenting maybe the overt vampire thing but the thing is like deacon frost's character was um super pasty but like all of the um like the true blood the true bloods right pure blood the pure blood sorry they didn't look like that so i'm just like what the hell like <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be a, oh, this is reflective of the people who were bitten and turned as opposed exactly. to the purebloods. But yeah, uh, yeah, they all just kind of look like regular people. And then they outfitted them with the little baby fangs so that Stephen Dorth had to talk over them. And yeah, I, I found his ability to emote or enunciate rather a little bit challenging at times where you're like oh i think the prosthetic is wearing him as opposed to vice versa <laughs> him, yeah i can't say one thing blade's haircut is iconic mm-hmm. for sure oh the, <laughs> the side fading yeah like and then wasn't there a scene where he went to like um get some more he went and gotten got something else or he went to the store there's when he went to the garlic had, like, shop yeah when he went to the garlic shop to like re-up on some shit <laughs> like the same other guy had the same haircut as him and i'm like whoever did this the haircut is sick i love it it was great <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I will say thank you for saying embouché because I have always said in a bush right, and I am one hundred percent wrong in that statement because I had to Google the phonetic pronunciation. <laughs> ah. It's okay. The problem is, is, so often we read things, but we never have to say them out loud. And then when you do, you realize, oh, I I either need to spend some time on YouTube and listen to like interviews where they introduce themselves, or I need someone to correct me. Um, but sometimes that can't even be trusted, though, because I have seen interviewers. Like, pronounce names wrong. I mean, you know, John Travolta got an entire name wrong at the Oscars once. (laughs) Think about Rihanna. Rihanna's name is not Rihanna. It's Rihanna. What? Yeah, her name is Rihanna. And so over time collectively we were just like no your name is rihanna oh my god we have we have relabeled you because we don't like the other pronunciation we don't like the enunciation of your name so it's like you know if you look at a lot of her early interviews it's oh hey it's rihanna and i'm like wow wow we really said fuck that (laughs) (laughs) and then she just stopped giving a fuck she was like no honestly she's like you know what she was like i'm sorry i'm too busy being a millionaire and not dropping new music god damn it you know (laughs) i it's coming. I'm just going to be patient. <laughs> It'll come <laughs> when it comes. Yeah. When it comes. All right. So back to Vanessa. Uh, she is being wheeled into the ER. She is bleeding out from a neck wound. It is slow-mo, blue-filteredville. Welcome back to the mid to late 90s, folks. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she is also pregnant. So she delivers and they take the baby away. And the last image that we see of her is reaching for this baby. And then we cut to now. which is something that doesn't age well when movies get older because you're like oh this is not now this is very aggressively the (laughs) mid to late 90s (laughs) okay so now we're up to tracy lords yes and again didn't know who tracy lords was when i first saw this and i was like oh my god that's tracy lords yep second tracy lords movie on the podcast this year 
Wait, oh, Excision. Oh my god, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is Raquel, and she is driving a Bill Paxton wannabe. So I love that you brought that up earlier, Kai. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and they're off to this rave in the meatpacking district. She ditches this dude as soon as she gets there so that she can fuck dance with a woman named Mercury, who is played by Ali Jover. And I messaged this to Trace. He didn't take the bait but Kai, i'm interested to hear your opinion <laughs> this movie is giving me all sorts of matrix vibes between the rave dance the way that these vampires dress uh even some of the action sequences like motorcycle chase scenes and so on like i'm getting pre-matrix matrix yeah even um in the park i was watching some commentary earlier today when deacon frost and blade are in the park um and blade shoots at deacon frost mm-hmm. that was a slow bullet yeah and that was before blade it, so uh-huh. i mean excuse me before um the matrix so yeah. yeah definitely um they intertwine i mean and and to clarify we're not saying oh the matrix invented all sorts of new things no. like we often think of it as bullet time and wire foo and that kind of stuff but the um the Wachowski sisters were clearly doing a Quentin Tarantino thing where they were lifting liberally from all sorts of properties that they liked and loved and paying homage to it. So I yeah. I just think I'm like, oh, was Blade an influence on their creative work in the Matrix? So hmm. what? Because I, I was trying to do the timeline for this because yeah, I, I was very much like I don't because Blade began filming in February of '97 and Matrix began filming in March of '98. Granted, mm. Blade is new line cinema matrix is warner brothers is it possible that footage was seen maybe um maybe. but my thing was like well okay so like yeah the matrix obviously is very influential but in blade has some of the same components what like was there something else that was influencing this i mean and granted it could just be that stephen norrington was like no like i, I want to do this this aesthetic but i didn't know mm-hmm. if it was maybe something in the music video scene at the time or what was going on but like what was influencing this look because yeah, while I didn't really take the bait, Joe, I don't disagree that I see similarities between the two films here, especially even in like the cityscape. Yeah, like I'm not drawing a direct correlation. Right. It was just kind of a, hmm, there's enough things here that I'm getting a bit of a ping. But you are right in terms of music video, like this movie, and that's why I say, oh, it's aggressively mid to late 90s, because this mm-hmm. was the height of the music video. Well, actually, this is maybe the the crest after the height of the music video phenomenon. But uh this editing in particular, the way that Norrington shoots this, edits it, and a lot of the kind of FX work to me feels very much like this was happening in music videos at the time. Yeah, I yeah. definitely get that. Because I, I had to like re of course I just like slandered the whole Deacon Frost makeup thing. But <laughs> I just had to like like regroup and think like, okay, obviously we're living in, you know, twenty twenty one, but that was what that was mm. in the late 90s. So it's like, you know. Well, and because the, the music that plays during the rave scene and also again at the end with during the Deacon Frost and Blade fight, um, I had to Google it because I was like, well, because it reminded me, and I, y'all are going to laugh. So to me, it is the song from Charlie's Angels when they go and like fight the creepy thin man. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, but it's the it, um, it's the prodigies smack my bitch up um, which I'm sure is exactly how it was meant to be said <laughs> but but like that music like I was like oh maybe that music video has stuff like this like, I, I don't I mean it's it's very much drawing from the music the music videos what was popular at the time like this is the height of rave culture as well like right. absolutely 
So we're, we're drawing from popular culture. And I think part of this is that it's not just setting an exciting mood. We don't just get a bunch of like really fucking good action here. But this is establishing Deacon Frost as a very different kind of vampire than, mm-hmm. say, Udo Kier and the other purebloods. Right. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So we get this absolutely fucking banger of an iconic scene. Blood from the sprinklers. Everybody is just like getting their kits off. And then, bam, intro blade played by Wesley Snipes. Just slices and dices these motherfuckers. We get the introduction of Quinn, who is played by Donald Logue. And you, you get a glimpse of Wesley Snipes' ability to mix the stoic and the humor, where he gives mm-hmm. Quinn that grin before he throws it around the circular room. I love that scene. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Well, th- there's even, I mean, there's even a bit, so whenever he, like, pins Donald Logue to the wall, he does, like, it's not a fist pump, but he does this kind of, like, yeah, oh, yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. That felt good. <laughs> it was really good. It was really good. I also want to say that apparently between this and the faculty, jack you up was a saying in 1998. So that's fun. All right. Okay. I'm sorry to divert. But <laughs> I have. Uh, no, like y'all, I really don't like the faculty, not because it's not a good movie, but mm-hmm. because I'm genuinely, genuinely scared of that movie. Really? What? Yes, and people will say those fucking alien things make my skin crawl. So, uh, do you feel similarly about like Slither or Invasion yes, of the Body yes, Snatchers? Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it's the the it's Slither and the Faculty, but I can watch Alien with no problem. But also, like that scene in since we we're talking about the Matrix, the Matrix when they stick that little like bug thing into Neo. Oh, I can't yeah. watch that. I can't watch it. Ooh, I've got a recommendation for you if you ever want to be really scared, and Joe will absolutely co-sign on this, but you should really check out David Cronenberg's Shivers um, from the 70s, because it is very much like Slither, but instead of the aliens, like, I mean, they do possess you, but they just make you really, really horny to the point where you will murder to fuck someone, and it takes place entirely in an apartment building uh, as these these sex slugs get get, get into people. Ooh. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. <laughs> but no, I, I, I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, it's it's too upsetting for you too scary that you, coach, concept. that coach from the damn ah, from Terminator. faculty <laughs> that fucking guy still scares me to this day he has these big old bulging eyes <laughs> and he like and then the scene where you can like see the the little tentacles going through the no <laughs> no I, I can't it's just too much fair fair Okay, so all this to say, Blade has decimated these motherfuckers. He just kind of slips out of here as the police and the firemen show up. Uh, Fake Bill Paxton is fine. And I don't know about you two, but rewatching this, I really got the sense that Blade is a total fucking asshole because he knows that Quinn is not dead. (laughs) And he allows Quinn to then bite this Curtis guy at the morgue, as well as Karen. I don't think he wanted it to go as far as Karen. Hmm. Well, because he does. Well, he does that thing later. You know, a he keeps using poor Karen isn't let in on anything in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but she keeps she keeps she 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 honestly wisens up to Blade, and by the end, she's like, oh whatever, I'm gonna I'm gonna take care of myself because she has to, and that's why she rescues Blade at the end of the movie. But yeah, I. It, 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 it just seems like Blade was, he's an opportunist. He was waiting for his opportunity, and I guess he just got there too late? I don't know. 
I mean, what is this motherfucker doing? He just walks down an alleyway and then we cut to this hospital, which P.S. <laughs> this hospital that's on, what, the 17th floor of a high rise? Because when Blade has to grab Karen and like bail from this building, they are fully jumping onto the roof of a nearby building. It's got to be at least eight stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What morgue is on the eighth floor? <laughs> <laughs> um any mortician listeners out there please let us know if you work in an eighth floor morgue i would love to know and also i would like to hear a, a podcast called eighth floor morgue <laughs> that sounds like a cool podcast <laughs> it's i mean it's probably breaking hippo can you break hippo for the dead sure i'm sure you can right That's uh, not bad. maybe i don't know you might I mean, you could change the names, right? I, I imagine like a podcast where a mortician is, yeah, okay, it's an eighth floor mortician. They're ta- they just happen to be on the eighth floor, but then they start talking about, oh yeah, so I did an autopsy today, and this is what happened, and this is what I found. Honestly, I would listen to that. You know what? I'm willing to bet that that exists. Yeah, it might. Like, there's a podcast for everything. <laughs> there's a podcast for everything, <laughs> uh, including queer horror that talks about Blade vampire movies. So, yes. Uh, okay, yeah, so Curtis is quote-unquote dead, and Karen has been bitten, and she is hallucinating, so Blade just kind of spirits her away because she reminds him of his dead mom. Mm -hmm. Mommy complex. So much, yes. Uh, He ends up, oh, we should also note that he does hack off Quinn's arm here, so uh, this will become a recurring joke throughout the rest of the film. Um, When he throws her across like to the mm-hmm. other roof it is yeah. i was like man she's lucky there was some cushioning there for her no i was thinking like <laughs> did he set that up already is that just there does he throw people that's off why, he was, yeah, he, that's why he was late yeah that's why he was late because i was like did, uh, coincidence look <laughs> because what if it wasn't she would have been better off getting bit yep yep i yep, mean i yep. guess he figured that she was gonna die regardless so worst case scenario she breaks a couple of bones or in this case she dislocates a, a shoulder so uh he ends up taking her home to dad uh i mean his mentor <laughs> whistler who is played by chris christopherson um p.s also i didn't know that whistler was not a comic books character he was actually introduced in the amazing spider-man the animated series from the early 90s and he was for blades cameo episode in that show and i guess he was so popular or something that they added him into the comics after that appearance see i always love that when minor characters become so popular and their creators had no idea and then suddenly they realize oh shit i guess we gotta put them in a bunch of things now give the people what they Mm, want right and actually kai i mean it's a spoiler for blade 2 but whistler is not dead at the end of this movie he is very much still alive in blade 2 it makes absolutely no fucking sense. No, it but, does not. <laughs> uh, they definitely retcon it because he was so popular in this movie that people didn't want him to be dead. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the second one opens with him like looking for Whistler and finding him. Yeah, yeah, because they jettison this whole Moscow thing. Toot sweet. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I think I'm gonna watch Blade Two. <laughs> <laughs> Success. <laughs> we want binge. We want updates on both of them. Yes. Wait. So Blade Three is the one with Ryan Reynolds. Right? Yes, it it's is. Ryan yes. Reynolds, Jessica Biel, and Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jessica Biel in another horror movie. Okay. Okay. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is really good. <laughs> it is a great five star film. <laughs> And if you want to hear Trace defend that for 90 minutes, we have a Patreon episode on Um, that bitch as well. Okay, 
you can hear me and Joe defend it for 90 minutes because Joe was also into the movie. <laughs> this is true. I do quite like it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So let's get to the introduction of queer icon Udo Kier. He is introduced in the shadowy boardroom. His character's name is Dragonetti, which I fucking love. Mm-hmm. And I also love that all of these purebloods are basically coded European people who are just slinking around controlling the US and monopolizing all sorts of like powerful industries. Like, I love this idea that to be a pureblood also means that you have accumulated this great wealth. And, you know, it really helps to distinguish Deacon Frost as the American interloper who is young and entrepreneurial and idealistic. Yeah, it's like that vaguely European where it's like, I don't really know what European you are, but like you are European. It's, um, uh-huh. and I know this would come later, but it's very hostily. Oh, see, I just went, oh, it's very underworldy. Oh, y- it's both. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said hostile, I was like, oh, yeah. Okay, but also hostile underworld crossover film. Well, like the vampires are the ones behind. No. Let's workshop. This. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But, 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 uh, you're right. The under- I didn't even think about the underworld because like, this does, you know, the vampires in leather. Underworld takes that like way up to 11 um, mm-hmm. and then slaps a blue filter on it. Yeah, it, it's basically the 1976 blue filter with the leather from the contemporary scenes. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so Dragonetti does not condone what Deacon Frost, who is played by Stephen Dorff, is doing, which is that he's holding these underground parties, he's flaunting the vampirism, and they're all like, no, we've got treaties, we're not supposed to reveal ourselves to humans, we've lived this way for thousands of years, and you're just like, that's old, boring shit. So I actually side with Deacon Frost in this regard. So you want to go to raves and do Molly? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> if I I'll look, answer for you, yes. And also, if I get to look like these young hot fuckers, like, absolutely. If I'm looking oh. like Raquel or Mercury or Deacon Frost, then yes. Uh, okay, so, yeah, so we're, we're intercutting between this political vampire drama and stuff happening back at Blade's lair. So Karen gives us a audience surrogate as she wanders around. We see that Blade has a creepy shrine to his mom. Blade, man, you gotta you gotta get out more. Horror and mommy issues are mm-hmm. insane. It's off the chart. I was just, I don't know how old you are, Kaya, but I know that this is probably too late for Joe, but did you ever watch Hey Arnold on Nickelodeon? Oh my god. Absolutely. It reminds me of Helga's gum shrine to Arnold. <laughs> Football game. Yeah. Oh, I, love hey I actually still watch Hey Arnold on Hulu sometimes. Oh, that's I a nice that blast show. from the past. <laughs> that show talks about a lot of tough topics for young kids. I'm 26, so mm-hmm. it was like right. I was like engulfed in it as a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you can hide a bunch of shit in either genre properties or animation, right? So it's yeah. like, oh, mm-hmm. well, we're educating the kids, but also we're hitting them with a lot of heavy shit. Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like dead mommy issues in this film. <laughs> so we also get a crash course into how vampires operate a little bit. So you can apparently be sort of cured with a garlic injection if you've been bitten like Karen, or you can need a stronger dose if your blade to keep you from overpowering thirst, blah, blah, blah. We also learned that silver, garlic, and sunlight or UV rays can hurt vampires, but crosses do zilch. This is done so quickly and so exped- expedient. 
efficiently, expeditiously, mm-hmm. one of those. Both, yeah. And everyone, listeners, um, I beg you, please go back to our episode on The Forsaken, which oh would come out, what, <laughs> two or three years after this? And I swear to God, it feels like a 30-minute monologue, but it's like three minutes. But oh my God, like, I love how unpretentious Blade is. And it's like, oh, we're kind of like redoing the mythos, but not really. It's kind of the same. But oh, no, crosses don't work. When the actually the reasoning behind the crosses is because someone, I want, it might have been Goyer, was like, well, what if it was a Jewish vampire? Like, why does it have to be Christianity? So that they, that's why they got rid of the crucifix stuff. I really like that. Also, just piggybacking on what you talked about with The Forsaken, we really trash that film because it uses vampirism as an AIDS allegory and this idea of like you've got to resist the urge and you're mm-hmm. trying not to get sick and so on. And really, if you think about it, this film is yeah. doing that exact same thing. It's Blade is trying not to give in to his unnatural urges. He is you know karen even has a whole big tangent where she tells deacon you've been infected it's a sexually transmitted disease but this film is playing it coy like it drops that in you could pick it up if you want to run with it but it's not hitting you over the head and it's not offensive yeah I mean, if we apply an AIDS allegory to vampirism in this film, it does kind of make Blade less likable. Well, no, I think the way to read it would be that he is on an AIDS-esque cocktail that prevents him from getting sicker. Yeah, but he's just killing the ones who refuse to do that so they don't keep spreading the virus. I don't think people take it that far to, like, (laughs) what does vampirism mean? It's more, like specific to blade if you look at it that way yeah also all of the whistler shit in this part is really funny so him smoking next to a gas station (laughs) him looking at blade and saying but you're so big when blade complains that the garlic injection hurts Chris Christopherson is really funny. He's very funny. Mm-hmm. The, uh, we'll, later when we get the catch you fuckers at a bad time. Oh, yeah. Live for it. <laughs> okay. So we have another scene with Dragonetti and Frost and these two play like lovers to uh, me. I wrote this down. I said, we get this kind of queer moment where Frost mm-hmm. grabs Dragonetti's face and yeah. he, he doesn't pinch his cheek, but he's like, gently squeezing his face very gay it's a caress right Mm -hmm. and i get the impression that frost is doing it because he knows it will annoy dragonetti but it it's very sexually charged this entire movie is sexually charged (laughs) okay fair fair (laughs) point (laughs) well no 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 not to not to um discredit what you're saying but as you're saying that i'm thinking about just the dynamic between you know karen and Mm -hmm. blade and then fucking blade and his own damn mom Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The fact that we get two sex scenes, one of them is a biting scene and one of them is a staking scene and no actual sex in this movie. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah. I'm sure we will have thoughts about the the climactic sex scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's move on to get there then. So uh, we've got Blade using Karen as bait so that she can be accosted by police officer Krieger, who is played by Kevin Patrick Wells. And uh, this is how I knew the hormones were absolutely raging when I went to see this theater, (laughs) when I went to see this movie in theaters, because it was like, oh, I really like Deacon Frost's hair and outfits. And ooh, who's that fresh face actor who's playing that officer? (laughs) It's like, Jesus Christ, I clearly needed to, like, have sex with a man. 
um yeah so they have this fun scene it i enjoy the recurring bit where blade just beats the shit out of this cop at every opportunity oh it's super fun it's super fun and again i still do love the where when karen's like you use me as bait Mm -hmm. because that will also kind of become a not really a recurring thing but it does happen more than once absolutely yeah uh, so Krieger does end up getting away, but they end up following him to this Japanese nightclub, and underneath the club is an archive slash high tech oh. uh, thing. Okay, so wait, but this is another good moment for Blade when the guy's like, "You need an invitation." And he just takes off the glasses, does this kind of smirk, and then you know, smash cut to this guy being thrown through a glass window. <laughs> that was giving um, just all the glass windows was reminding me of Thirteenth Ghost. <gasps> oh. <gasps> And just like the angles, I was like, okay, this is giving 13 ghosts. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can see it. I can see it. Um, I mean, especially, yeah, once we get, as Joe said, when we get into this underground room with all the tapestries, it's like, oh, okay. You know, Latin, mm-hmm. Latin or whatever the dead language is written all over these things. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's interesting how this film is both edited, not like the action sequence editing, but in terms of cutting, like cross-cutting back and forth between things that Blade and Karen are up to, but then also Deacon Frost. Like, we're getting to know quite a lot about him and what he's up to, whereas I think other films often say, oh, we're not going to reveal our our villain's big plans until later. We have to follow the hero the whole way through. Because in my notes, I'm like, oh, every other paragraph is about Deacon and what he's up to. Can y'all explain? Because, okay, so, because he wants to become this blood god, the La Magra. But he does say a line at some point that's like, everyone's going to be a vampire, right? Like, he wants to make all the humans vampires? Or am I making that up in my mind? So you are right. And it has been leveled as a criticism against this film. Like, oh, well, if everyone is vampires, then you won't have any... You won't have a food supply and everybody will die. There's a line that was cut in the reshoot edit where apparently he elaborates by saying there will be blood bag people. Mm -hmm. So basically what we see in Blade Trinity, where they go to that warehouse and everybody's in bags, they would still have that. He would just turn most people into vampires. Because, I mean, again, you know, I got my little queer cap on and I'm like, okay, so like, you know, vampires equal queer. We're trying to make everyone vampires, a.k.a. make them queer. But you know what that reminds me of is the plot of X-Men, which I know came after this. But like, and I, that allegory works better because, you know, the mutants and X-Men are treated as, you know, minority groups and second class citizens, whereas the vampires here, people don't know about them. But Mm -hmm. I do just wonder if that was something that Brian Singer took when he was um, working on X-Men. I mean, possibly. Or the comics. He might have taken it to the comics. <laughs> well, yeah, like I'm sure anybody who reads the comics are going to say, uh, the X-Men came to popularity in the 70s, but it's worth noting that the character of Blade was also introduced at the same time when Marvel was making a very concerted effort to recognize marginalized groups. Wait a second. This just came. Wasn't, I think Blade is British. Wait, let me look it up. Yes, he was born in a London brothel. Wow. <laughs> Eric, yeah, he's British. Because I remember doing the research for my show, and I was like, wait, this guy's British. Hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Eric, yeah, he was born in a, a brothel in London yep. um, in 1929. Yep, and his mom was a sex worker. Yes, she was. Oh, my, oh yep. I guess it makes he's sense. He's British. He's a brothel, yeah. Huh. Oh. No shit. Except I don't love that because... <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm I'm often very uncomfortable as a white person then discussing uh, texts about like another marginalized group. Like you want to tread a little bit carefully, but 
there's too many stories from white people about the black community where it's like, and his mom was a sex worker and he grew up to be blah. And you're just like, oh, please don't. No, no. I have my um, disregards regarding the um, origin story, especially in comparison to others. Um, So I definitely understand that. Um, It's more so like why does our origin have to be that of misfortune? Mm. Of course, everyone has their villain or their origin story, but like, why is it that generally in film and or comics or whatever, a lot of black origin stories come from that of misfortune or, Mm. you know, this was, you know, she was getting bit while she was giving birth. Mm -hmm. There's so much trauma and there's so much, yeah, there's so much trauma that comes from um, that origin story. And it's just like, Eh, I could have gone another uh, day without, you know, knowing that. But hey, Blade's a great movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like in this film, they they really want to use it as an explanation for why he's a daywalker. And that is a mm-hmm. film construct, right? Like it's the thing that they retcon into the comics after this film is successful. Mm-hmm. But yeah. to me, that's the only reason why it's really in there. Because they're looking for a reason to say, oh, well, what makes Blade different and unique? That being said, though, even with the mother, um, if there's a, a big issue I have with this film is that the mother is, I'm going to say underdeveloped. Like we don't know anything about exactly. this exactly no she's not she's barely a character if she was not played by a now famous actress we would all be like oh who i forgot about her it, it, the movie's already a full two hours long as we already discussed like they, there were 20 minutes cut out of it probably actually probably more because they did reshoots but yeah i i don't know if there's any space to add more in for a, a scene where we learn about the mom but i wouldn't have minded like you know the scene where where the mom goes to blade when he, when he's like strapped up about to get bled out like if that was maybe a longer more candid conversation between the two the problem is is it's at the climax so they're gonna cut any kind of emotional slash character beat because they want to get to the action and the sword fighting but it's also because they they, they, they keep the mom a mystery right because every time we see her yeah. before the review Reveal, she like we, we only see her from the neck down, like coming around and hugging Frost, which I don't think it's that much of a surprise when it's revealed to be his mom. <laughs> so oh, it's like, I remember being shocked because I just thought, yeah, oh, no. he's fucking a bunch of women. I never made the connection because the, I, I mean, I'm a dum dum. They changed her hair. And <laughs> she yeah. became a completely different person. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, I, mean, I, I wish I wish we had more with the mom. But I mean, yeah, there's not really any room here for it. Not if you're going to keep her a surprise. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one thing that we sort of sidestepped is that the thing that Frost is doing that Dragonetti doesn't like, apart from the nightclubs and the breaking of the treaties, is he has a magical computer that is doing a translation (laughs) of this vampiric Bible. And we don't really learn what he's doing until this very moment when it finally finishes translating and we get a (laughs) very welcome to Raccoon City kind of schematic, like set up the pure blood people in this way and it will trigger a cataclysmic event computer simulation i was literally like okay magical computer like i i will buy into this but this technology does not exist <laughs> it honestly reminded me of Cher's wardrobe from clueless where it like mixes ah! and matches the outfit it's like <laughs> this yeah. ancient vampire symbol correlates to this english language letter okay sure this is the scene though where we meet pearl and mm-hmm. so when i first saw this again it was on tnt and i remember the blood rave and i mm-hmm. remember pearl this yes. 
This thing is so disgusting. <laughs> it's so wet and juicy. Apparently they had to like <laughs> they had to use a forklift to to move this prosthetic around the set. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Pearl was so large that a set had to be built around him. It was about 700 pounds of latex skin that had to be moved with a forklift. I, and I love, I love Karen, like, getting oh. a one-liner, you know? He moved. Well, also, this is this is really Karen's first taste of agency. Previous to this, she's been kind of, like, hanging out in the background or getting used as bait by Blade. And here, she actually gets a weapon, and you can tell that she's got a bit of a vengeance slash anger streak in her because she is taking delight in burning this motherfucking vampire mm-hmm. i'll confess this is actually the first time that i realized that pearl is not a female character as well there is a very quick line reference where blade says he but the name Pearl and also the affectation of actor Eric Edwards yeah. always led me to believe that this was a female vampire. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it's relevant to anything, but I I was just like, oh, okay, interesting. There's some coding, gender no, coding here. I, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, it, it makes me wonder why the choice was made to have like a, a feminine affectation. I, I, I don't know. I would love to know the reasoning behind that. I, maybe it's on a commentary. Who knows? That's something that I want to look deeper into now. Mm-hmm. I just think Pearl is such an interesting character. Like, yeah. this looks completely different from every other vampire we will meet in this movie. Not only is this the kind of only dis... Mm, I'm hesitant to say disabled vampire, but obviously mobility is an issue for this creature. And yeah. I'm like, okay, but clearly you're smart enough to man the archives and you know, you're one of Deacon Frost's, like, right-hand men because he trusts you with this computer program. Like, I don't know. I find Pearl to be a very interesting character. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, But they, they, they are they are burnt to a crisp. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that seems funny. No, it's... Uh, I mean... <laughs> He moved. <laughs> Again, another Slither reference um, when the girlfriend or the wife or whatever is like filled to the brim with all those slugs. That reminds me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> it's gross. It's, a, it's what I would call a gooey movie. And I, I handle gore better than I do goo. Yeah. I do too. You know what I mean? I can sit there and watch. I don't want to say I've watched torture porn or whatever oh, torture sure. films, but yeah. I can sit through that. You know, it's okay. But turn on the faculty, I will turn into a five-year-old child. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on the other side of this door that Pearl has been sort of guarding is, uh, yeah, pages from the Book of Erebus, and this is where we get hearing rumblings of La Magre and... Uh, we get a fun, but far too brief for me. I wanted to see Blade have to deal with this child vampire girl a little bit longer because I mm. thought that was a. F- Whenever I see children as vampires, I'm intrigued. Again, go back and listen to our episode on interview with the vampire. Yeah. Okay, so this is all basically a pretense to an ambush by Quinn and Mercury. Whistler arrives. He- has that iconic line, and then we get a fight scene in the subway. I, I have a question, though, and maybe this is my pervy mind, but I, I was ha- happy, but I thought for sure when Quinn pulls out the steak and he kind of rubs it over Karen's breasts, 
I mm-hmm. thought we were going to get, n- not a rape scene, obviously, but, like, a threat of rape. Like, I thought we were going to be like, I'm going to shove this up your pussy or something like that. And oh God. I, I, but again, like, the way it shot, like, I mean, it's a phallic object. It looks like a like a steel dildo. And so I th- I was like, oh, fuck, movie, please don't do this. And it restrains. Look, you don't have to do that. It's great. We also have to think that that was that time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that in the late 90s, it could be implied, but it wouldn't go all the way through now, mm-hmm. especially with the boundaries that film just doesn't care about anymore. That we that definitely could have been an issue or a thing that would have happened if that film was made in, in current time. It might be a Marvel thing too, right? Like, I mean, again, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, this is an R-rated movie. I, oh God, have we had an R-rated Marvel movie since Blade Trinity? Deadpool, Deadpool is DC. Uh, nope, Deadpool is Marvel. Fuck! Oh my God, you're right. Holy shit. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm not too keen in the comics, but I think Deadpool is Marvel. <laughs> My bad, y'all. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, then never mind. Forget what I said. <laughs> I think the other thing that I would highlight with this is, I mean, we've talked about how this film is sexy, but it doesn't actually have a lot of sex in it. So yeah. the, I think the threat of rape would actually be out of character for a lot of what they're trying to do. I find that if we were going to say there's a a sexually manipulative person in this film, I would give that to Mercury because Quinn is asexual to me. He has no interest except mm-hmm. pleasing Deacon. So unless you want to read something into that relationship. Yeah, I was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> He's like a lapdog, right? Unfortunately, I do think Mercury is underdeveloped as well because, I mean, yeah, yes. she honestly, I mean, this is later again, but she she's wearing like Vin Diesel's weird... Um, I don't know, big fluffy shoulder thing that he wears in the triple X movie. <laughs> oh, she's a, she's a hundred percent an extra from like a triple X movie yeah. <laughs> just happens to be in this blade vampire film. <laughs> Bitches come. I do enjoy this subway scene though. Um, these are some pretty fun set pieces because he doesn't have superpowers. When he grabs onto the back of that subway train, I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, both of your necks have just been broken. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to, what to tell you. <laughs> Yeah, the movie ends here. They're both dead. <laughs> I do like the visual, though, of like the vampires creeping up on them, and the only exit out is to jump onto a very fast moving subway. Mm-hmm. We should also note this is the second time that Quinn loses a hand. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, wait. Uh, so, 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 Kai, because you said, you know, I, I don't remember what word you said earlier, but you said, you know, Quinn is just goofy and dumb or something like that. Yeah. He's, is it a bad thing for you, or is it a good thing? No, for you? it's it's not a bad thing because, of course, there has to be like um, character development dynamics, mm-hmm. and no one could be as sexy as Deacon Frost. Right. No <laughs> one could be as you know talented and and well rounded as Blade. So I feel like Quinn's character is that comedic relief to me personally. Yes. He's like the goofiest vampire of them all. Um, and the fact that he got his hand cut off twice is just like get your shit together. Well, I do believe he was also a result of I don't know if it was test audiences or maybe studio, but like they saw his work in the film and they requested that more scenes with him be added in so i think he was actually meant Mm. to die earlier in the film oh that would actually make sense because i could have seen him getting killed here even Mm -hmm. yeah also a fun fact that you're bringing up resident evil at some point because he is also going to be in the new resident evil movie (gasps) yeah he plays corrupt police chief brian irons not that that means anything to y'all but it will to other people i feel like he's already played a corrupt cop isn't he in batman begins no he's in gotham the tv series and he jesus yes he plays harvey bullock there we go yeah (laughs) Not a corrupt cop, though. Right. Yes. Actually, he's the only good cop in Gotham. Wow. Well, on top of Jim Gordon, but yes. Eh. 
<laughs> let us let us never speak of that show again, except to pray Jada Pinkett Smith, because she's the only woman who understood anything about what that show should have been. I heard, I heard seasons three and four embraced the camp and ridiculousness and went full throttle. I did stop watching after season two, so I missed those seasons. So that's just what I heard. I needed Barbara Gordon to go wackadoodle nonsense and be evil way earlier because she was so boring. Well, she's throughout the, well, I think she's evil throughout the seasons two, three, and four. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Not- <laughs> Anyway, tangent, tangent. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we get... This movie is actually kind of expert at delivering exposition in, as you said, Trace, expedient or expeditious ways. Mm -hmm. Because we actually get more here where it's like, okay, let's talk more about Blade's mom. Let's talk about his relationship with Whistler. Uh, And it doesn't feel forced, and it surprisingly doesn't drag the movie down too much in terms of, like, slowing the pace. Because we needed something after this high octane action sequence and for me this really works yeah again this is a two-hour movie that doesn't feel like it's two hours long it doesn't yeah and when you have to deliver this much exposition it i'm surprised it doesn't feel longer like it's all delivered very very well Mm -hmm. okay so although i will say this next scene feels like it could have been cut or more seamlessly integrated into the finished film because for absolutely no reason apart from the fact that it makes Deacon Frost a badass and it looks very cool in terms of our effects this is where Deacon executes Dragonetti at sunrise and somehow he and Mercury just wear black leather and like motorcycle <laughs> helmets and it protects them from being burned alive um, I will say, like, right before this, there's a really funny part where Quinn is, like, talking, and there's a vampire, that a female vampire that's addressing his arm stump, and then she just bites it. Yes. Really love that. But yeah. Ow, you stupid bitch. Yeah, we get a lot of that um, from him. Goofy. Just so goofy. <laughs> so goofy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, th- this, uh, that's the thing. I feel like if they had established Udo Kier's character as, I mean, I get, I get it. He is the leader of this vampire council, but he mm-hmm. hasn't done anything no. to show me that he is like, uh, f- why he is the head of this vampire council. And I wish we would have gotten something like that because at this point I'm just like, oh, okay, he's just the guy in the boardroom and boom, sunlight dead. Yeah. Yeah. It, it works because it's Udo Kier. And if you know who he is, he has that level of authority like he is imbuing this character with 199 other performances that Udo Kier has delivered (laughs) but from a character in this film standpoint he's just a dude who showed up in a couple of scenes previous to this yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're back at the lair. Uh, Karen is desperately trying to find a cure, and instead, what she stumbles across is a blood coagulant called EDTA, which she describes as having an energetic effect on vampire <laughs> blood. <laughs> Uh, oh, also, Whistler is dying of cancer. It's like, bam, bam, bam. Mm. We're just dropping shit in this movie all the time. <laughs> I do love having her like be more of a part of the team. And also as a reason to why, why I think she wasn't in the sequels again, unless it was something on Embushay's right, like uh, Embushay's uh, uh, like, like if she didn't want to come back or if they just didn't want to write her right. in, but she is not a comic book character. So I do wonder if that played a part of it. That sounds about right. That could potentially be like the um, reason why she's not back. Mm-hmm, for sure. But again, I haven't seen it. So. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I'm going to claim, and folks will roll their eyes at this, but I'm going to claim that this is gentle Hollywood misogyny where they're going to say, oh, she's just the female love interest. We don't need to bring her back. Let's just introduce a new female love interest in subsequent movies. As long as we've got Blade, he's our center. He's our central figure. That's all we need. Right, because he has that vampire girl in the second movie. Mm. Uh, okay. Okay. And then he basically has children in the third film. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. So this is where we get that fun interaction between Deacon and Blade in the park. I will say this was the scene on this rewatch that really cued me to how much effort this film went to to cast people of color in just all of the scenes like a bunch of the heavies yes we're used to seeing kind of like oh we've got japanese mafia vampires right. but like this meeting casually takes place in chinatown so every person who isn't steven dorf in this scene is asian and you're just like cool that's fun they didn't need to do that and they made the effort i, I, I have nothing to add to that but yes <laughs> well uh, i guess the reason i brought it up is because race doesn't get mentioned a ton in this movie like we kind of treat it as a bit of like color blindness but in this interaction deacon does make a reference to blade doing a uncle tom routine and then he mentions that he's inviting blade to join his new race so i was like oh okay we're we're doing a bit of that here I feel like, again, that plays into what you said about it being a Marvel film and about the toes that you kind of don't want to step on. Um, granted, this it is an R-rated film, whatever. It's just like, eh, are those the toes that I want to step on? Yeah, I mean, I think if this had been Wesley Snipes' Black Panther film, we might be approaching race in a slightly different, more, um, I guess, a more immersive sense here it almost seems like okay well that's not the movie that people want like they came for the vampire film so let's make sure that we make it entertaining for the whole family let's not bring race into it too too much well i mean even in you know the, the actual black panther there wasn't much talk on race as an external thing granted there are a few like jokes here and there but it's more so just like the internal um conflict that killmonger has with t'challa so i definitely wonder what that would be like if it was wesley snipes's um black panther would there be more um talk of race directly you know in comparison to the actual film that was created yeah i i don't know that hollywood was in a great place to do that and particularly not with this creative team right like we have yeah. <laughs> david goyer who is very much like i will write your action movie and then we've got nottingham who is nottingham is that right oh um norrington and then we've got norrington who is like cool let me do fun edits and like stylized action sequences so I, I'm not sure that these would have been the right people to have tackled something more serious but I don't know. I I just thought it a little perplexing that we're introducing it here, but only in one very specific instance. Okay, and I killed the conversation, so we're <laughs> going to move on. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you didn't kill it. I, I, it's it's. 
I'm really just thinking about it now because if I had to go back to um, what Black Panther was and I'm just like, yeah, there. I mean, there's like this over thing like, oh, there's this white guy in our black kingdom or black area. But it's just like, other than that, there's really no direct conversation or conflict that involves race. Right. (laughs) But I would say even on the level of costuming in that film, right? Like there's a whole visual narrative that's being told in like the neighborhoods that people come from, the way that people dress and that kind of stuff. You know, I, I think this film considers itself a vampire film first and foremost. So it's very much like we're playing with the conventions of this genre. We just also happen to be making the first and up until Black Panther, only black male fronted superhero film. Yes. And now we have, um, what is that? Okay. Marvel comic fans, please don't come for me. <laughs> Anthony Mackie, Falcon and Winter the- Soldier. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because I didn't want to say it wrong. Um, well, you got the right part because he's the Falcon. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was like, because I was like, okay, is it just Black Panther and Blade that have been made in the movies? I mean, I was like, oh, I guess we could technically mention Halle Berry and Catwoman, but not really. It doesn't really fit the same bill. Yeah. Well, and that one is a DC. Right. Yes. Okay. You're correct. Not, not that we need to draw distinctions, even though obviously no i know but of one versus the other and so on but, but that was but yeah but I, I get what you're saying but that wasn't the that wasn't like the ang- the angle we were working from yeah and it, it i guess it's just more and i i'm sorry i swear we'll move on after this it's just more <laughs> this is a big event like this is in the 90s where we're not always doing a great job of like a black-led media for wide consumption like we're typically saying okay we're going to do niche films like you know uh in Boucher, right, was in Dead Presidents, but that was very much a film for black audiences, and white audiences would not be expected to go and see it because, oh, we're not the target audience. And, like, the strict division in audiences and films was more concrete. So, yeah, I just think when we talk about the pantheon of superhero films, Blade is important for not just being the first big Marvel success, but it's like, oh, it was also on the shoulders of a fucking black man. And the film doesn't always address that. And part of me wishes it would. Hmm. That's fair. Okay. Very fair. And I will now climb off my soapbox and move <laughs> on at the muck of the fucking movie. <laughs> Okay, so this is, yeah, so we're back at the lair. Uh, this whole Deacon Frost conversation with Blade in the park has, yes, been him trying to recruit him, but it's also very much a, I'm stalling for time so that my lackeys can go and abduct Karen and kill Wes Whistler from your lair. And honestly, rewatching this too makes me like Blade Trinity less because they do the exact same thing in Blade Trinity. A hundred percent, except they try to lean on the waterworks for Natasha Leone's death sequence. Well, because we, okay, because what happens here oh is- Oh my god, know, I'm we, sorry. I'm so sorry, Kai. We, we just keep spoiling no, things totally for future fine. films. I, I am not a spoiler type of person. Perfect. I don't care if you tell me the whole damn no, movie. So, I'm I mean, going to watch it like I've never seen I, it. I will, I will stand by. Blade Trinity is very dumb. It's very fun, but it's not a good movie. But yeah, like right. basically when you watch this, like they do the exact same thing where it's like, okay, cool. So the home base of the people gets ambushed by the vampires. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, we have a video left by Frost being like, hey, Blade, like I'm taunting you. Come to our lair and save your girlfriend, <laughs> mom thing. And in, in Blade it. Trinity, it's just Natasha Leone who happens to make a video before she is murdered. Like, hey, everyone, um, the vampires are here. I'm totally about to die. Um, here's all the information you need to uh, win. Here's what you need to know. 
<laughs> I had this magical computer simulation, and this is how you win. Yay. Also, my daughter is hiding in a locker somewhere. I can't find her, so hopefully she's not dead. But, you know, bye. Tracy can't find her because she's blind. Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Blade Trinity. God bless you. Yeah. Stupid movie. Okay. Um, yeah. So Blade does show up. Whistler's still alive so that we can have one final surrogate father adopted son moment i wish that the makeup on chris christopherson was better here because he has no swelling it looks like they just kind of gently sprayed him with a little bit of blood and then said cool let's shoot this yep i agree (laughs) i'm like i i need a little bit more from you come on blade let's do it Okay, so Blade decides that he's going to suit up for this final confrontation. Don't forget that this also includes the dramatic destruction of his shrine to mom. Um, I, also, so when he gives Whistler the gun to kill himself, um, I immediately in my head, because we get this swelling score, and yes. I immediately went into my Romeo and Michelle like, oh, listen to that sad, sad music, boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> Something really bad's gonna happen. They won't let her shop. He has to kill Whistler. Obviously, no, that sucks. I love Whistler, but oh my god. The the music swell, I was like, y'all. It's very much telling us how to feel. Yeah, in case you didn't know, you should feel very distraught right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I want to point out, time-wise... Blade enters Frost's, like, lair thing mm-hmm. at the 80 minute. There are 40 minutes left of this movie. So the entire third act is basically this showdown. Yeah. And it's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really good stuff. <laughs> okay. So we we do get this bit, yes, where Frost talks about his plan to Karen. And she's like, you're a stupid boy with a disease. Like, basically... You have a vampire dick, and I'm going to cure it. I'm just going to jab a needle in it and give you that cure. And yes, then Blade arrives. He begins fucking shit up. We've got all kinds of great action sequences, again, with the Matrix-inspired thing, where he's, like, crashing into this lobby, and there's guns everywhere, and it's tight corridors. And then, um, yeah, he makes his way up to Deacon's bedroom. We get this fantastic gravity-defying coffin. Oh, shit it's mom she's looking fabulous and then he gets tasered into unconsciousness um i want her bed so bad it is gorgeous and trace it has it's a, a coffin i but it but, but but it has like a mattress in it like it is a fancy <laughs> ass coffin yeah it's a king-size coffin basically if that's how i'm gonna go out that i mean if that's how i'm gonna go that's how i'm gonna go out in style right? luxury uh. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense, though, right? If you're going to live forever also, like, say you're not going to die, don't you want a great night of sleep? Do they sleep? I don't know. Like, are they just hanging out in there? Is, are they just fucking rest. in there? <laughs> I mean, well, there's plenty of space. Because honestly, that's a big thing with me being, being a vampire. Like, the coffin doesn't have a lot of arm space. Like, that is, like, primo, like, Ikea coffin. Okay, I'm processing this. So you're saying if you were to become a vampire, <laughs> you're like... Oh man, I'm gonna have to spend a lot of time looking at coffin catalogs because I need arm space. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, that's very specific. Okay, like so, we, uh, <laughs> we, have y'all ever like tried to be buried alive and you're in a space and, like you, you, you I, I have to be able to fan my arms out. If I can't do that, I like panic. Okay, so you want to be able to snow angel in this hypothetical vampire coffin? Yeah, yeah. If I can do that, I'm fine. 
Okay. Okay. Kai, do you have a specific coffin, <laughs> vampire coffin request that you would need? I haven't even thought of that. <laughs> I mean, Kai, what are you even doing with your life if you're not thinking about your vampire I know, coffin? Right? I guess, um, I don't know. Okay, maybe the the material mm-hmm. plush. Yes. Um, I love plush, plush and terry cloth type blankets and pillows and all that. So maybe that'll be my request. Okay, so you're looking for a softness to this. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and Joe? I'm going to go full 80s, and I'm going to say, let's go waterbed coffin. Oh, you're gross. Okay. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, that way if you get a little bit freaky, you're like, hey, what happened? Did I pop the mattress? Or okay, I can let's tell you've never <clears throat> tried to have sex on a waterbed, because I can promise you it is not easy. There is no... Like, give. I mean, sorry, there's too much give. <laughs> I, I absolutely have not tried to have sex on it, but I have tried to roll over, and it is a feat that cannot be accomplished. Yeah. Oh, boy. <clears throat> okay, yeah, so mom's still alive, Blade has been locked up, and yeah, we're in this temple. No idea where this temple is. Do you folks have any idea where this temple is located? I think it's... Like, is it in the city still? No, I think it's on the eighth floor next to the morgue. <laughs> Right, yeah. He just needed to go down one floor. He would have been in this temple. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think it's supposed to be under where their boardroom is. I think. Oh, maybe. I just always find it funny. Like, we don't get a lot of exterior shots in this. And as you said, it's because it was all shot on sets, right? But there's a curious lack of placenessness where I'm just like, this temple is fucking huge. Where are they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay, so Blade is getting a little bit thirsty, and Deacon is loving that because he thinks it's very funny. We push Karen into a pit where it's revealed that Curtis, her ex from the morgue, is actually still kind of alive. He's a zombie. He He's like Renfielded, but hasn't been fed. Yes. I love this. I actually wish we got better looks at his face because it's so dark down here. Again, makeup. We didn't allocate any money for makeup. But I do love that... It, it, a part of me was like, oh, I wish this seemed more longer and more suspenseful. But at the same time, I'm like, I love that she wastes no time beating the shit out of this guy, yeah. killing him and crawling her way out of this pit. <laughs> oh, yeah. She she has no time or patience for anything. And that that almost is her arc, right? Like, she was clearly a smart woman at the beginning, but she tolerated this idiot and indulged all of his stupid fantasies. Like, yes, let's talk about this special blood, Curtis. Okay. Here, she's just <laughs> like, I'm going to hit you in the face, and I'll answer to that later. Yeah. Okay, so that's happening down below. Meanwhile, uh, we have Vanessa, that is the mom, getting very excited about locking her son up in this Victorian bloodletting sarcophagus thing. She is all over him. Like, this is not maternal. This is, I want to fuck my son. Not surprising. The hard dynamic between father, I mean, excuse me, mother and son has always been questionable, even pre-psycho all the way up into like, I don't even know. I just know that it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I definitely want to, like, go and dive deeper into the whole idea of, like, maternity, but, like, with the son specifically. Like, mommy issues is a thing. I don't even think there's a lot of films that reference daddy issues regarding, like, a daughter and their father. The Electra Complex. Yeah. Well, the problem is, Kai, that would require us to have female protagonists, and we prefer <laughs> men. 
ooh, let me sip some wine. Okay, because you get deep now. <laughs> no, but you are absolutely right. Like, Hollywood seems to think it's fascinating to have boys with mommy issues. And it's like, mm-hmm. if you had a bad a bad situation as a child, it is going to fuck you up as an adult. I think what I enjoy about this is that it also clearly fucked her up as an adult because she, like, she is not handling these interactions well. At all. Uh, all this to say, I don't condone incest and mothers, please don't fuck your sons. Yes. <laughs> There's emotional incest too. I think that's like the biggest like mm. takeaway between Vanessa and Blade. It's like more than a physical thing it's an emotional type of that's thing, a you know? really good distinction to make too and you are 100 percent right because yeah there's it, it yes <laughs> <laughs> just yes yeah <laughs> that's a big thing that a lot of people don't even discuss is that a whole like oh well you'll be my son forever and you know a mother's heart that kind of like creepy sinister like undertone that some mothers may have with their sons it's fucking disgusting. well and like we all both said earlier he's displacing like his mother onto karen so when we're absolutely about to get this well, are, are we there yet? We're kind of, we're kind of there, right? Like, uh, yeah, basically. I mean, like they they start to perform the ceremony because Blade is dripping blood like mad, and uh, this is when Karen sneaks up. She releases him, and then she encourages him to feed on her to recover because he's in the throes of, of blood madness. And Trace, you and I had the exact same yeah. revelation about this. We always thought that she was saying stop or don't as he's biting her and what she's actually saying is don't stop <gasps> yes so I, I i have seen this movie again multiple times i have always thought because it, it, it's it's intercut it's cross cut with the ritual which by the way i love the music during this ritual it's like the, 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 the drums really it's like it's like jumanji drums um bit. yeah yeah but yeah, I always, always thought she was saying, stop, stop, stop. And also because his thrusting on her as he's pulling mm-hmm. her head up is really... Oh, he's fucking her. It's a little violent, yeah. But but it's rough. Um, but yeah, the subtitles, at least on HBO Max, the subtitles have her saying, don't stop, don't stop, don't yeah. stop. I mean, it makes sense from what's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I mean, I always read this as a... Oh God, I'm bringing up rape again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always read this as a pseudo-rape, but even though, yes, she told him to do it but like i was like oh she's saying stop and he's not right. stopping it just uh, that's not what it happening. transforms it into a sex scene because she's saying don't stop like the act of being fed upon is obviously pleasurable in this world mm-hmm. yeah which is fascinating i'm it, these are the kinds of nuances that i enjoy in different vampire tales like because i can't remember which other one it is but they're explicitly told if you try to resist a vampire from feeding on you, it will hurt more. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting twist as well. Well, that sounds really familiar. Yeah. Of course, I can't remember it on the fly. Someone will tell us later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So this is all fun. This is, you know, Blade is basically getting like his his power up filled to the top. Mm -hmm. And uh, underneath we have all of these pure bloods positioned out so that the blood drips on them and then it pools in the center and it drips on Deacon. Uh, He basically gets a blood facial. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a real thing now. Yeah. (laughs) It's a very real thing that you can get. Like at a spa? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you can get that. They t- I think it's like the enzymes. It's your blood, of course, but the enzymes. Um, oh, I don't want that then. No. To um, rejuvenate your skin. Yeah, it's like a lot of celebrities get it. Of course yeah. they do. Um, no, because yeah. I always remember in um, Nip Tuck when the uh, the, the yes. 
Like, I mean, oh, it's I actual, like, semen facials, but it was actually, like, like it was supposed, like, semen was supposed to help, like, prevent wrinkles. And so, yeah, this mom yeah. would have her sons, like, jack off into cups so she could use it for her oh, facials. God. <laughs> wow, for her skincare regimen, she wasn't just like, yeah, facials for my son. Okay, so we've got this fantastic sequence, and I don't think the FX work here looks great. It's very 1998 computer generated. I don't give a shit watching these skeletons pry themselves out of the pure mm-hmm. blood's mouths and just start flying around passing through deacon and turning him into la magra is fucking great love it yes i i i agree and honestly so yes you're right the the, the cgi does not look good like it is very obviously 90 cgi um but yeah it's for me it's it's the creepiness of because they don't just like come out of the mouth it's like they put their hands out mm-hmm. and pull the mouth yes. back to give them uh what is it what is the black dahlia grin um oh yeah the 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 yeah the, the dahlia grin smile joker kind of yeah. Uh, yeah, and so it just it looks so creepy that it's it's like peeling their faces back for them to mm-hmm. crawl out of their mouths, and it's just like, ugh, ugh, ugh. Oh, see, that's funny. I don't find it creepy at all. I'm just like, oh my god, that's so gross and fun. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. also older when I saw it, but that's fine. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, now Deacon is getting his own powering up, and meanwhile upstairs, this is where Vanessa realizes, oh shit, Blade is out. So she tries to reason with him, but he ends up sticking her. So he more or less fuck kills her, and I have it in my notes that he literally bones her because he stabs her with a bone. Oh, with a bone! Oh my <laughs> god, Joe, look at you! <laughs> That's the best thing you ever said. Uh, <laughs> wow, and thanks? You're welcome, you're so welcome. <laughs> uh, but again, like, I... I yeah, there, there's something about the chemistry between these two actors that is really saying something because Lanthan is not in this enough to, I said her name wrong. Lathan. It's like Nathan, but Lathan. Lathan is not in this enough to merit the kind of response that this elicits. Like her scenes with Wesley Snipes are so good, despite the fact that they barely have any time to establish anything. And it makes me wish that she was in this more. But that's the thing, right? Like this is his mother that he has thought was dead for decade his entire yeah, life yeah, forever yeah and yeah they don't even like really get like yes we see him but i guess the idea is supposed to be like my mother died when i was born like this exactly. isn't my mother so i guess that's the idea behind it mm-hmm. i just wish we had something here that of like an actual conversation i was just about to say there's no true like i don't want to say reconciliation but mm-hmm. there's no true like um i think resolution or anything really it's just I think there is for him because this moment for him is very cathartic. It's the letting go of the past. Like he he destroyed his ceremonial shrine, but this is actually him getting rid of the physicality. Like the body is now gone. His mom has disintegrated. But the problem for me is that that, that's that's great. You are 100% correct. But that means that this person, this character is more of a plot point than she is a character. And that's my issue with it. And she absolutely is, unfortunately. Yeah. But this is also that he can, you know, discover who he truly is, right? Like, this will unlock him to become the person who can destroy the blood god, which is what uh, Deacon Frost has now become. So, uh, first, though, we do have to deal with Quinn. So, our final good comedic stinger is Quinn rushes at Blade, and instead of chopping off a hand this time, he just decapitates him. Love it. 
And then we get um, Mercury's death, which is mm-hmm. via Silver Mace. Is that what it is? It's Garlic Mace. Garlic. Which makes her head explode, which is awesome. It's a good moment for Karen. It's kind of uh, a little bit... It, it's the end of what she gets to do. Like, yeah. Blade will obviously use the EDTA to blow up Deacon Frost, even though he has become seemingly unkillable. And that is Karen's contribution. Like, she weaponized this against vampires. But she's kind of out of the picture throughout all of this. It's very much the Blade and Deacon show. Mm-hmm. Which oh, yeah, definitely. goes on for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. It's good. I think the reshoots really do benefit because the sword fight is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I think it goes on for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's 10 minutes. It's five. It's like five minutes. It's like five minutes. <laughs> so fully 50% less than what you just said. Sure. Five minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes. Who can say? Who can say? Yeah. Uh, and so basically the threat has passed and Karen says, cool, well, let's get to work on curing you. And Blade says, hey, I'm actually kind of cool. How about you just make me some weapons? And we finished the film with a little bit of a, a very quick coda that says Blade is still fighting vampires only now he's in Moscow. OK. Yep. That's it. Techno. <laughs> and that's Blade. That is Blade, <laughs> everyone. And Kai, you can go first, but what are your final thoughts on Blade? Blade was such a fun movie. Yes. Um, again, I don't really remember watching it as a kid specifically. Like, for example, like watching Deep Blue Sea or Halloween Resurrection. I'm telling my age now. But um, <laughs> revisiting the movie, it was a lot of fun. It was very, very much. It's a lot of iconic scenes. Um, the style was definitely iconic. I'm 26, and when I think of raves, I think of that first opening scene. Yes. Um, even, I think, uh, Little Nas X recently had a music video where he paid an homage to the um, rave scene really? as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, if I, I might be staying corrected. I think it was Little Nas X, but um, mm. it was just giving very much vampire, very much blood, very much sex, all that. So, mm. um, Blade overall is just a, a fun fun movie and it is definitely an iconic vampire film yeah Yeah. this was a lot more and i I know we've said fun so many times it really was a lot more fun than i remembered it being Mm -hmm. i remember this being a real doom and gloom movie and i was pleasantly surprised to find that i had remembered this movie incorrectly i do think the second one is better but i still really really enjoy this that's fair that's fair I will echo the fun. I do think that this is a great mix between action and comedy. Like, it's surprisingly well calibrated considering some of the misfires that we have seen Goyer deliver. Mm -hmm. Overall, I think for me, this is a very nostalgic pick. I'm not going to lie and pretend like Steven Dorff isn't a bit of a sexual awakening for me at a very (laughs) kind of... You're scoffing, but this was that film for me. it's it, sorry. It is, not, it is not meant to be a disrespectful scoff. I was just. It, it, it's just a noise that I was making. <laughs> a, a noise that sounds like a scoff. No, I'm laughing because I think it's cute. I think it's cute. It's like a cute scoff. Ah, okay. I will accept a cute scoff. Yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, I appreciate that this is a Blade movie that didn't give me body dysmorphia, so that's a pro over Blade Trinity as well. I think. Yeah, for me, it's just. It's representative of a certain period of time in my life that uh, 
I needed something like this movie. It's fun. It's filled with action. I got to go and see it with my dad. And I can still pretty much recite every line of it. And I don't apologize for that because it's fun. I don't think you should apologize for that. But again, it's one of the things where I'm like, wow, I, I never would have like pegged that for you. Of like you knowing like a, a Blade being this kind of movie for you. I know. It, it's a very weird thing. And yet uh, it it all just works. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <sighs> well, okay. So before we announce what we're covering next week, everyone, Kai, first of all, thank you so much for coming to discuss this film with us. Yes. Of course. It was a joy. <laughs> and let everyone know, where can they find you on social media? Okay, so if you want to hear me talk shit on Twitter, you can follow me <laughs> at <laughs> um, KY underscore SFX. If you want to see me talk shit on Instagram, you can follow me at Kai underscore FX. If you want to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter, you can follow that at MVHU Podcast. And if you want to follow KFX Horror Group on Instagram, it is going to be KF Horror Group. Um, we can also find everything, the podcast, the makeup, the the articles, everything on www.kifxhorror.com. Yes, and nice. we'll link we'll link to these in the show notes as well. So if y'all want to click on those things, please go look at those and click on them. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners and find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Um, we update that every week, and it's really, really lengthy. Um, finally... <laughs> <laughs> We've got a YouTube channel where we record our microqueries episodes. Um, by this point, actually, our microqueries episodes have now become recaps and reviews of Chucky, the sci-fi yeah. series. So make sure if you have been missing microqueries, you might want to dive well dive into it for the first time to listen to us talk about all things Chucky. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Uh, we are now, well, we've been in spooky season. I forgot we're almost done with October now. But um, we've got episodes on Midnight Mass, Slasher Flesh and Blood, and Halloween Kills, as well as an audio commentary on Child's Play 2. And still to come, of course, is our episode on the next Paranormal Activity movie, um, Next of Kin. So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That'll be fun. Joe, mm-hmm. what are we doing for our Halloween episode next week? <laughs> we are closing out the month with our last, well, intentionally funny film of the year, Trace, because <laughs> we do have a couple of unusual picks still to come. But this one is a full-on comedy, but it is set in a mansion that is filled with dead bodies that just keeps piling up. <laughs> Folks, we are talking about quite possibly the funniest movie ever made, Clue. Oh, it's a, a unique pick for Halloween, but you know what? I defy you to give me someone that doesn't like Clue. Oh my god, I don't want to know that person. I don't want to know that person either. I'm saying, <laughs> if you were that person, listener who is listening to this right now, um, you need to give it another shot. No, that's baby. it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be one of those episodes where we're just talking about how amazing it is the whole time. But you know what? I'm fine with that. It's going to be us reciting lines of dialogue the whole time. <laughs> be like, here's my Madeline Cotton impersonation. Go. But hey, Mr. Green uh, may be a homosexual. Oops, actually, he's not. So we do have some queer stuff to talk about in that. Indeed, yes. Okay. Well, until next week, everyone, we can cross out Blade. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Horror queers.